Hello, handsomes, and welcome to Personally Speaking, the podcast where your friends tell true stories in service of your laughter. This month, we gathered up some of my good friends, real people, and comedians that I like. The first person to open the show is Riley Silverman, who follows one of our most important rules and makes a really, really dark story really hilarious. This is a tale of assault, so please be advised. Following Riley is Kason Weiss, who has to Google what love is, which, as a very tender robot, I can understand. Following Kason, we have the return, the triumphant return of Eric Zuleger to the show, who really just knocked it out of the park this time. I think you guys are going to really like this story a lot. I, My abs were actually hurting from laughing so hard, and then I had to get up on stage and introduce the next comic. Kevin Yi, uh, with whom we get into the dark dark underbelly of being in a boy band as a teen and then uh there is there actually is a performance there was a story by barbara gray she asked us to remove it so sorry suckers you gotta be at the show for that and then finally we close out the show with megan gailey who uh who a falls asleep at the bar um and b is a comedian i really liked I've, she's been making the round at a lot of shows in la i was really delighted to have her on These people have 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and that's it, to earn your trust, make you laugh, and make you love them. So please, please, please give them your ears and attention. I have to just say, um, this month was our largest show by a landslide. So, thank you. Thank you for joining us in person at the open space. Thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. I see you, Saudi Arabia, and the little weirdo in Austria. I see you, and I appreciate you. Without further ado, this is the April edition of Personally Speaking. Put your motherfucking hands together! Um, When I was uh, driving on the way to this show, I got caught in traffic I should have expected, which was Dodger Stadium traffic. And so I was stuck for a good... 15 minutes at least uh, staring at the same vanity plate on this one car which said that (laughs) which posited the theory that the best moms get promoted to grandma (laughs) are we sure? because I have a whole class system and poverty cycle that seems to posit otherwise I kind of think the best moms uh, get promoted to dad. <laughs> um, there's, I don't know about, I don't know about you. I can't, I can't exactly say that I was, uh, that I was like raised by a single mother. I just have divorced parents who did the most hilarious thing they could possibly do when they got divorced, which is move to two opposite ends of the same twelve mile town. <laughs> so that's like some Tim Burton esque kind of opening story, like. And then they got divorced, and then each of them occupied their own half of the mystical little forest. So that's, I just, I don't know, I don't even know what to do with that, but I can say, um, for sure I had, like, some experiences that resonated with with single motherhood. And I am just outright terrified. There is anything, like, single moms are like the Robocop of parents. They're definitely the end boss. Like, if they're... My mom is sneaky. (laughs) 
Uh, I know because I learned all of my tricks from her genetically. Um, she, when I was uh, when I was a bit younger, um, quite a bit younger. When I I won't say when I was young. That implies things I don't want to think about. Um, when I was quite a bit younger, uh, she. She caught me real good uh, when I was with my, my first real love, and thus my first sexual conquest. Um, she made a point um, months later. We got into a vicious fight. I was not, like, it was like the first time I even realized I could talk back to my mom. Like, the first time that I was like, I could say things that aren't like, yes, mother. <laughs> um, so it was like our first really vicious fight, and it was months after I'd had my sexual conquest with um, with a 17-year-old boy. He was also, I was also 17 at the time. I wasn't like that crazy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we got into this, like I said, we had this vicious argument. And um, <laughs> and she threw out a really weird, uh, really weird little tidbit of information. She's like, "I know what you're doing. I saw that you washed your sheets." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Knowing immediately that I washed my sheets right after we had sex for the first time because there was cum on them. And then she was like, "I know what happened. You never wash your sheets." I was like, "Shit, she got me beat." <laughs> so, uh, guys. Uh, Clap your hands if you've never been to this show before. Put them together. Put them together. Thank you very much and welcome. Clap your hands if you are kind of scared that you're going to die a nuclear death at the hands of careless men. Woo! Yes, yes. Yacht queen, go nuclear! Uh, put your hands together if you recently YouTube the History Channel segment when it was still a good History Channel on the mother of all bombs. Just me. Okay. <laughs> Solid. Solid. Um, <laughs> thinking about that, like where my brain first went as I was saying that was like mother of all moms. That's what my sneaky mother is. Um, but yeah, um, put your hands together if you still aren't sure who's going to survive in this very room five years from now. Yeah! And put your hands together if you have been to personally speaking before. I like it, and I love it. Uh, we've been doing this for just about two years now. Started in a living room. Um, it really started in my depression, so I'm glad that we ended up here. Um, but Personally Speaking is a show where your friends tell the best stories, um, and they tell them from the heart. So we have a couple, couple simple rules like every house party does. we got house rules. Rule number one. The stories you hear tonight should be at least five minutes, but no longer than ten. I don't want to hear anyone talk for longer than that because it's my turn. <laughs> Rule number two, they have to be true, but only to the best of the storyteller's perspective. So, meaning, the storyteller has this thing called perspective. In this, it's, it's what makes autobiographies not ever really true. They're honest, but they're not true. Um, and it's, it's also what drives this show. So... In the story where my mom probably put it together that there was cum on my sheets at one point, she's a villain. In her version of that story, she's the detective. So she's just trying to, you know, lock up the bad kid. So what the, what the storytellers are going to do is they're going to do their best to earn your trust in ten minutes or less. And they're going to do it using their heroes, their villains, etc. And finally, you just gotta make us laugh. That's all you gotta do. That's all we're asking from you. So, if you, uh few things to get to, I guess. 
I don't know, who here is familiar with the concept of repression? Anybody? Anybody here repress things? Yeah! Who likes to repress things? I think we all do, America. That's what got us into this mess. Um, we're going to bring up our first wonderful comedian, storyteller, podcaster, writer to the stage in just a moment. Um, this human being, this says a lot about me and where I spend my time on the internet. I discovered um, the existence of this human being on ModCloth, and I was like, that's a motherfucking babe in total control of herself. So, put your hands together for our first storyteller of the night, Riley Silverman! Yeah, look at that jacket, you guys. She bought that for $10 at a thrift store. That is like the best find ever. Or you guys don't give a shit. That's fine. No, whatever. <laughs> Compliment a nice outfit. You guys just stare at me. That's fine. Let's, let's not repress our fashion senses while we're at it, all right? Um, you think the mother of all bombs then becomes a grandmother of all bombs if it's a really good... Okay. I know it's not a stand-up show. Um, so, a spoiler alert this story. Um, I get assaulted in this story. But this is not a story about my assault because I only have ten minutes. So... Um, this story is about uh, my how I came to really start to insist upon and, and live by my pronouns, which are she, her, hers. I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. Um, spoiler. Um, so, um, shocker. I, so, I I came out of the closet as transgender in 2009, and uh, I when I first came out, I was real chill about it. Like I was like. I just wanted, I wanted so badly to be accepted and I didn't want my existence to be like a hassle for anybody that like, I just like tried my best to be as low key about my identity as I would just tell them to dick about it. Like that was my like one rule. Like I, I thought that I was being strong by doing that because like I had this mentality of, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, there's a quote from there, which is like, hey, if you're a bastard, uh, never forget who you are because the world won't either. And it can never, if you wear it like armor, it can never be used to hurt you. And that was my thing, was like, if I'm always really aware that I'm trans and I put it out there, then I'm never going to be attacked for it, like, because I, I can always defend it myself, all right? Um, and then I got attacked for it. So, turned out, that whole plan did not work, because I was, uh, I was going to Dyke Day in 2014, and I was in a, in a train station in North Hollywood, and a, a person in the train station, so I'm going down some steps, and there's a guy on an escalator, and he sees me, and he goes, why the fuck are you wearing a skirt? And uh, I did not assume that I probably had any answer that would satisfy that question. <laughs> like, I, just, I couldn't imagine that I would have stopped and been like, well, you know, it's a hot day, it goes with my boots, and he'd be like, well, fair enough. It's... <laughs> you have the legs for it, but it is a tool of your patriarchy, so make sure be careful about that. That was not going to be a commentary. So what happened was I just ignored that, which I do most days. Like that's that, especially back then, I stood out like a sore thumb. I wasn't on any hormones or anything, so I was often, I often got why the fuck are you wearing a skirt in some version of like some sort of cat call, some sort of hatred, whatever. So and again, I wore like armor. It was fine. So then he assaulted me. Uh, long story short of that, I survived. So that's cool, right? So that all happened, and then I I was still going to Dyke Day, and on the train, I, like, wrote up a blog entry on my phone about what happened, and then I posted it on Facebook, and then the next day, somebody messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, go to this Funny or Die video. I think this guy is the guy who assaulted you, and it turned out 
It was. There was a weird thing that happened where the guy who assaulted me went to the Pride Parade and he was being filmed by Funny or Die as part of many people being filmed as a weird man on the street quiz. And this guy walked up wearing all the wounds of the battle he and I had had. Like, because I had ripped his shirt and he's wearing the ripped shirt. You can see, like, my claw marks across his chest. Um, and, like, so it's like, that's happening. So he's, like, giving these, these ridiculous questions, answers, whatever. So that's, again, that's the story about my assault that I can't get into right now. But all that happened, and then that story went viral. It is a really weird thing to have one of the worst days of your life also be a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> like, it's real weird to see, like, celebrities re retweeting that you got, like, attacked in public and no one cared. But um, public place, no one stopped it. Huh, all right. Um, I filed a police report. Nothing happened. What a shocker. All right, love love the humanity we have. All right. Um, so all that happened, and then what started happening was people were talking about it who I didn't know. Like, there'd be, like, chat rooms about it. Like, there were, like, people – like, like, you do when a news story happens, except for I was the news story, and so I was mad about it, you know? And then a friend of mine sent me a link to this, like, conversation in some random Facebook group that was an argument between feminists who, who believe in trans rights, uh, trans people, and then quote-unquote feminists who do not believe in trans rights. And there was, like, a lot of fighting in this group back and forth about my assault. Yeah, please send me that link. Let me read people being dicks about me after my assault. That would be fantastic. So they did that. So I'm reading it, and I'm reading, and I, I'm, I'm, I can't not read it. So I'm going through it, and it's, it's weird because there's a lot of people saying things. Like the people defending me, there's people who are on my side, which is wonderful. But then there are people who are saying – these are all women, by the way. Everyone in this group is identified as a woman. And one of them says, well, I don't think he's a woman because he fought back. Whoa. That was a real thing that a person – how much do you have to hate trans people – that you as a feminist-identified person would type that out as saying, like, a woman wouldn't have fought back. And the thing is, I had heard that exact sentiment before from the man who attacked me in the subway. When I was fighting him back, he told me to my face during our fisticuffs that, <laughs> that I started it by hitting him back when he hit me the first time. And then I, I was like, you got in my face. And he, he said something like, women wear skirts. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, you're acting like a man right now. That's what he said when I fought him back. Here's the thing. I'm not upset by him saying that because he's an asshole monster who fights people in subways. I don't need to win him over. I am real pissed off about the women in this Facebook group who did it. And so I was like reading it. I didn't respond. And then more people were responding, making all the points I would have made, which is basically women can fight back and that's the end of the story. But... Then somebody goes, also, you really shouldn't misgender her because she was literally assaulted for being transgender. And then the thing is, they found a link to my blog. And on my blog, I had put those pronouns. I had put, I had put you can call me he, she, or they. Just don't be a dick about it. And they said, it's impossible to misgender him because he said it was fine. Oh. And the thing is, I was pissed when I read that. I was real mad about it. And I, I really like wanted to respond and be angry and scream at them. But the thing that made me the angriest about it was that they were 100% right. Because as much as I was trying to be cool, as much as I was like trying to like have this laissez-faire, like, like whatever, lucky, like, I can't remember the word I was going to use, but whatever. My armor that I was giving myself wasn't just protecting me from people hassling me. It was giving other people permission to not accept my gender identity. Because I knew who I was the whole time. 
I just, up until this moment, always did not know if I was allowed to call myself a woman. Like, I was afraid of it. And I didn't think people would let me do it. And I didn't realize I was the one that had to let myself do it. Right? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I was so mad that me putting that pronoun on this one blog somewhere gave these people permission to say that by hitting this man back, I was acting like a man. Because that is bullshit. I have never acted more ladylike in my entire life than the day I hit that guy back in the summer. <laughs> and that is not to say that's the only way to be ladylike. There's, there's a million ways you can be a woman. You can fight him back. You can protect yourself. You can run away. You can call for help. All those things are things that women do because we're a variety of people and we do many, many things. And whether I had fought him back or whether I had done whatever happened, I did it as a woman. And that's what pissed me off that day was I, I just uh, – I had this written down so well earlier. Shit. All right. Um, damn it. It was so, it was so profound. Um, <laughs> Trust me on this. Um, I don't. Okay, hang on. Fuck it. All right, I'm just gonna do this. Hang on. I had. Okay. So uh, did I watch me close this page? And I don't have it anymore. Um, okay. Whether I stand up for myself or not, whether I am crass or kind, whether I'm snarky or sincere, I'm not ever acting like a man because I am not and never have been a man, and it is never again going to be okay with me if anyone suggests otherwise. My pronouns, like everything else about everything else about me, are female. Yeah. That's my story. All right. Oh, and then. Uh, so that was I was living very gender fluid at the time and I was afraid to transition I was afraid to call myself email so that was uh, the, the summer of 2014 uh, I made the first appointment not long after that to meet with the LGBT center and got like on their list of people to come talk to doctors and within a year of that I was taking hormones and that's why I'm living my life as myself now thank you I don't really want to be like the type of person or the type of couple who does swing lessons, but I love swing dancing. It hurts me. I feel like, I mean, I don't like to stereotype, but I feel like if you're white, you've got to know how, unfortunately. Because we are good at stealing things from black people. Unfortunately, we make it popular. It's a whole big hullabaloo. It's, I can't even say we're really good at it, just that we do it. Um, <laughs> that was... That was phenomenal. Please put your hands up together for Riley. That was um, a beautiful story. And then at about eight minutes, eight minutes in, maybe seven, I was uh, I put my hand into my jacket to put it back on and realized the tag is still in there. So that's what's going on in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you to my fans. Um, but yeah, uh, so I don't know about you guys. Um, started watching Riverdale recently. So I'm fully gay now. Um, I, yeah, no, please, please, applaud, 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 applaud. Yes, um, applaud my indecision. Um, I really, I, I genuinely, like I genuinely don't, um, I don't find it necessary or interesting in my case specifically to try and push into a box whatever it is that I feel, like what twinges when I look at the right photo shoot or something. But oh my Jesus God. Um, a photo shoot was released this week in Cosmopolitan of the girls who play Betty, Betty and Veronica in um, what I've recently just been calling Fuckboy Archie. Um, or 2007 Shall Rise Again. Um, I, I really enjoy the show. It's such hot garbage, but it's so 
it's so it's so exciting and I, I don't think it really I don't even know if it's fair to call it garbage just because we only associate things with garbage if teen girls like them and guess who's fucking leading the revolution right now it's teen vogue motherfucker <laughs> teen vogue is doing some of the best and most phenomenal reporting like literally about what's going on in Russia what's ro- what garbage Trump is putting on and then also what colors are in this spring so <laughs> Fuck your own face if you think we can't contain more than two ideas at once, um, let alone complexity of them. So, I, I, mean, I, I mean, go ahead, fuck your own face. I don't mean that as a majority either. Um, but no, <laughs> like, have fun. Um, find a way. It'd probably be like a million dollar idea. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing you that the $9 all-fruit liquid you purchase at a store called Moon Juice is any different than a 450 smoothie at Jamba! What are we doing? What are we doing? Guys, the next performer coming up to the stage, put your hands together for Kaysen Weiss! Get it up! Get it up! Give it up again for Christiana. She's lovely. She's lovely, you guys. All right, I'm going to do what every one of these in this uh, day and age does. Fidget with my phone for five minutes by pretending like it's not really happening. We'll edit it, don't worry. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, who remembers the first time they fell in love? Oh, yeah. Oh. I expected more from you guys, but I guess it was the first love, so it's like mixed feelings. All right. I... I mess with this. More editing out for me. Uh, How tall am I? Thank you. Okay, so there I was, working my job at a bicycle shop, running back and forth because there was no walking when it came to renting out bicycles to the people of San Francisco when they would come in to want to bike the bridge. Bike the bridge, we would tell them. Bike the bridge. Come in. Come into our store. Let us rent a bicycle to you so you can bike the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. I got a text from a friend saying that there was a party tonight. It was Tuesday. I wasn't a man for a party on a Tuesday, but I thought, okay. So, later that evening, a car pulls up to my apartment. I get in. My friend is sitting across the, well, he's driving the car, and I'm sitting across from him now in the front seat. And the first thing he says to me is, uh, hey, nice cologne. And if you've ever given that compliment, you know it's a full lie. Because the moment someone smells a cologne, it's not because, and the moment they're having to speak about it, it's not because it's that great. It's because it's overwhelming. <laughs> and I thought to myself this thought, and I realized he was just being polite. So I said, that, well, is it, is it a little too much? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Listen, you're good, you're good. And then a voice came up from the back. Nope, it's too strong. Who's oh. <laughs> that? Uh, it was this girl. I can't remember her name. It was, uh, I couldn't really see her face, but uh, she was honest, and so there was that. We went to the party. We split off into different sections of the room. I ended up talking to some friends of mine I hadn't seen in a while. He and uh, I think the girl went to the kitchen. I then later got hungry and sort of decided to go to the kitchen to get some food. Went into the kitchen, uh, saw Kevin, laughed along with whatever he was talking about with his friends, looked over and introduced myself to this lovely woman uh, who then later told me, well, actually not later, about two seconds later, we met in the car on the way here. Uh. Oops. Ah, oh, man, and the sort of makeup for that, I tried to just, uh, oh, sorry, uh, listen, let's talk. I want to be friends with you. I feel bad already. Uh, and I thought, you know, to make up for my mistake, she should know more of me. 
and get to me. <laughs> so I did. I talked to her. I uh, got more drinks. We had some champagne. I introduced her to some of my more uh, amiable friends. And the night went on. By the end of the party, there were two or three people left. My friend came up to us and says, hey, anyone need to ride back home? She looked at me, and I assumed she was going to go back with her friend, and said, no, I'm good. Thanks. So I said, yeah, me too. Thanks. And so we ended up staying another hour and then going off to uh, have more drinks later. Uh, and then I asked her out a week later, and then we started dating. So... This was the first real big relationship for me, and as such, we went through all the fun steps that a relationship goes through. The first one was the can I be your boyfriend talk. She actually asked me first, because I was too much of a wimp to be able to say the thing that I wanted to say to her, which was, can you be my girlfriend? But it's okay, because gender laws aside, we're just people, and we were just expressing ourselves. On this moment, it was two months into our dating relationship, she asked me, and I said yes. And then we took the train home, and it was just the most magical train ride you'd ever imagine. Just me thinking, oh my gosh, this is a person who wants to be in a relationship with me. How amazing. Woo. Yes, woo! I came from a loving family. We talked of love. We talked, I love you, I appreciate you, etc. There was a lot of that language going on, but I never knew how to be vulnerable in front of people. And many of us, not everyone, but some people have grown up in a house where it's maybe a little bit more about how your, not appearances, but how you conduct yourself, how you... Uh, show yourself off, put your best foot forward, and if it's not your foot, maybe just make a foot that looks good enough to make it to your foot. (laughs) And I didn't know how to be my true self in front of someone. I had never learned that. So three months later, or three months into the relationship, so a month later after we decided to make it official, I am sitting at my computer Googling what is love. (laughs) How do I say I love you? Oh, look, there's Reddit. Oh, I'm sure I have some good advice here. <laughs> open up 12 different tabs. If you went to my computer that whole week, you would have seen about 100 tabs open that were just like, Yahoo Answers. This is what I think love is. Uh, Reddit, this is that. The, I even wikipedia the Latin. of what. Uh, I just went everywhere. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what to think. I just was reading experience after experience of people who had said I love you to their significant other in some form or fashion and what it meant to them. So I decided to try to cheat. I decided to express my feelings verbally. I mean, I was avoiding it this whole time, but at that three-month mark, I was saying things like, I like that you... Uh, I the, uh, there's so many things on this stage, I have to think of all of them all back and forward. I like that you fix breakfast in the morning. I like that you remember I like orange juice and milk at the same meal. <laughs> I like that you appreciate what I do for a living. I like that you... Uh, Talk this way in front of my friends. I like that you get along with my friends. I like that you're caring. I like that you ask me how my day is. And even sometimes you mean it, sometimes you don't, but you always ask. And so there's one moment when we were holding each other in the throes, after the throes of passion, and I was giving this whole laundry list. It was something I meant and I did mean every word, and she responded with, okay. I love that you wake us up in the morning. She used the word love, and that was new. I love that you uh, always get in the shower first, but always make sure the water's warm when I'm ready to get in the shower. I love that you walk me to work. 
I love that you remembered uh, my birthday, even though it's been like you remembered it weeks into our relationship. I love you. <laughs> she tricked me, you guys. <laughs> I sat inside, I slayed in silence, wondering what to do next. What do I do next? I took it in. I decided this was going to happen long before this happened, and I took the moment just to remember it. And then I responded back, I love you too. And that was the first time that something I had repressed and something that I had not known how to express came forward. And then the relationship went on. I met the parents. That was exciting. I had to go back to my place three different times, walk out the door. Nope, these shoes suck. Uh, the sweater's go- oh, the, the sweater's got a fret and I got to go back inside. Uh, I don't know. Three different times. Google uh, what to wear in front of parents. I did all these things. We met. It was great. It was fine. It was normal. It was what you'd expect meeting parents to be. We went off to farmer's markets. We went off to spend holidays together. A relationship ensued. Then we moved in together. And that was a big milestone as well. And by this moment, I was watching her and how she said, I love you. And how she expressed it. And how she meant it when she said it. But moreover, how she lived her life. How we lived together. And how we, as a unit, showed each other love. And that became, the more and more I said I love you, what it meant to me. See, because I thought they were just words that you said something to make someone feel good about you. Well, if I don't say it, they won't like me anymore. I better say it right. I better say it correctly. I better say it at the right time. But reality is, it was just an act of being. And as I said it more and more, I learned what it meant. And, I, and every person in here has their own version of what it means to them. And they've experienced it in their own unique way. And it's powerful. And it's wonderful. And it's happy and sad and angsty and nerve-wracking. And it's everything. Slowly, a relationship ensued. And three years later, three years later, I'm walking out of an apartment building, and I'm excited. I'm I'm excited. I found out how to get the garage door open, and I open it up, and there I am proudly sounding, hurrah, we found a way in. And I look out on the curb, and there she is, and she's crying. And she's sitting in the passenger side front door of her car, one foot out and in tears, and my smile fades. And I go over to her and I say, what's wrong? And she says, I can't bring the car inside. I don't want to move your things inside. I can't do this. What she's describing is the moment, the week after we had broken up and I was moving into a new place out of our apartment. And she was expressing how sad she was. And I knelt down and I put my hand on her shoulder and I cried there with her. Because you see, we both still loved each other, but like some relationships do, you grow apart. Or things change. Or a career takes you in a different direction. Or a confusion of your life or not knowing exactly what to expect next happens. And things, life, happen. So then now I've had to learn to repress that love again. And it's not stifling it. It's not choking it. It's 
learning that this love has ended, and that's another difficult thing. The cycle has come full circle in my life, which is not knowing, fully knowing, and now appreciating it, but letting it drift away. And that's a repression that I think, neither good nor bad, but something we've all experienced. Needless to say, the invitation to love again is what keeps us going, what keeps me going. And I invite you all to know that sometimes repression can hurt you, and other times it can bring clarity and it can invite new love. I'm Kason Weiss, and that was a downer story, you guys. All right, I'm done. Christine, you to come back up here. Thank you very much, you guys. Thank you so much. That really got me thinking about my first love, <laughs> whose number I had to block. <laughs> uh, because at, uh, at one point, um, my first love and I, uh, we were high school sweethearts. And I was, I was really, uh, we had, it was weird, we'd actually known each other since middle school. Like, I was just thinking about this memory today. Um, the very first time I saw the very first episode of The Office, it was because um, I was bent, o- bent over, my, my, uh, my crush at the time had her heads bent over an, I- an iPod video watching the first episode of The Office at, at an ice rink. <laughs> Um, he didn't know how to skate. I'm a fantastic skater, but I, you know, um, <laughs> so I was just being gracious. Um, but yeah, so we, we had an on again, off again thing as everyone does in eighth grade and ninth grade and 10th grade and 11th grade and then 12th grade. Um, and we were paired into the, uh, the same AP U.S. history class, I think it was, or same AP economics, something I didn't pay attention to. And um, because I was so excited for the opportunity to wipe the floor with him with my sense of humor. We had not talked for two full years, and I was like, I'm going to motherfucking destroy him and entertain my class at the same time. And then I realized the more that I started to call out things that, in retrospect, my teacher really should have stopped me from saying... Um, like, I made abortion jokes, and the teacher just kind of went on and was like, kids will be kids. It's the only time I think I've gotten a pass on, like, girls will be girls. Um, but, so yeah, uh, the teacher the teacher kind of let us be, um, maybe saw that something was blossoming, something was kind of going on um, when he intercepted a note between us. Um, I don't remember what the note said. It probably just said something like, you're really cute, I want to fuck your brains out, something like that. Just, like, <laughs> high school stuff. And so... So anyway, we started dating again, and we, we did it for real this time, and we dated for like three years, and it was my first real love, and I was like, thank God, I'm done, let's get married, let's get a house, that's it, this is the first time I've been in love, this is all that matters, done. That's it, I'm so glad, like the first time you fall in love, you're done, thank God. Oh, wouldn't that be awful if you had to go through like, years of your life, trying to find someone to love you. That would really, that would suck. Um, I'm not familiar with the process, but I'm sure it's painful, unnecessary, and lengthy. So we, um, so we did that for a couple years, and we, we definitely really enjoyed each other's company, and then eventually we broke it off because I was in college and liked a lot of people, and I said this is, I said the thing that everyone says when they're really concerned with their own emotional health, <laughs> health which is that I said, this isn't fair to you. 
Oh, everyone, anyone who says this really isn't fair to you is really thinking this really isn't fair to me. Uh, uh. Uh, and so eventually uh, we brought it, brought it to a point where I said like, hey, I really do love you, but cannot do this. I, I like other people. This is wrong. And we were very long distance at that point, like a good 300 miles or so. And so eventually, um, I think he had, he had been working on a chemical engineering degree for a very long time. And a couple years later, we had long since, you know, like, I don't know, virtually like drifted continentally. And, uh, and so I reached out when I saw that he had graduated and I just said, you know, I was like, it'd be just a nice thing. Like we haven't talked in so long. This would be a nice thing to say, like, hey, congrats. I remember, you know, like, I remember being in your dorm room watching you, like, sweat onto textbooks for this thing. So, congratulations. Proud of you. Good job. Uh, initially, that was accepted like a normal person. And then, tragically, he turned out to be male. And, <laughs> uh, and so... So he started texting me more often because I had texted, I'd used my phone to do this because I was like, I don't even know if this is going to be his number anymore. Texted him. It turned out to still be his number from eighth grade. That's probably the strangest part of the story. <laughs> so, uh, so I texted him and I was like, hey, congratulations. And then, got, I don't know, a week later, he just said like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I ignored it. Um, I was like, that was not what I was like trying to give you like a nice experience. I wasn't like giving you anything of myself intimately. <laughs> Please stop asking me what I'm doing. What am I doing? I was at a brewery with friends. So um, I waited a couple hours and then I just said like I'm at a brewery with friends. I didn't really ignore it. Um, but I waited an appropriate length to be cool. So again, then he texts me hours later at midnight again saying like, hey, check out this pic of a fat ass rabbit. <laughs> And I was like, it's midnight, Douglas. <laughs> uh, and then I traveled a couple weeks later to go see my parents out in Texas. And I had left my phone. I had plugged it in and left my phone just on the floor, like face down, where it should be at 2 a.m. The next morning when I checked my phone, I would received another pic of a fat-ass rabbit um, <laughs> saying, like, isn't this rabbit fat? <laughs> um, to which I responded, I'm so sorry, but this is not what I asked for. I'm going to block your number. So um, I think they're right when they say that true love waits. <laughs> I'm going to be waiting for him a long time, <laughs> like way over here. Uh, guys, the next performer coming up to the stage is a super handsome babe. Um, he is my contact anytime. Anytime I'm like, everything is, <laughs> everything's exploding. I don't know what's happening. Russia's like on fire, and I don't know. Trump's a weird dude. He like seems to have like a toupee problem or something. Just tell me everything's gonna be fine again. And then he's like, listen, Hillary already had all this in place. Don't even worry. It would have been bad either way. And I'm like, thank you, Eric Zule. You're coming to the stage. <laughs> You guys are telling beautiful stories uh, about love, and I want to I wanna tell you a story about my first fear. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was afraid of one thing, and that one thing was God, <laughs> which is a shitty thing to be afraid of, because he's everywhere. <laughs> I can be reasonably certain when I'm in the shower that there is not a spider in that shower watching me naked, but according to Judeo-Christian theosophy... <laughs> 
God is definitely in that shower with me and also inside of me and also looking at my pee-pee wiener. (laughs) So the reason that I was afraid of God as a child is, uh, for the reason a lot of people are afraid of God as a child, is because I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic school. Um, Resounding applause from the Catholics in the audience. It's okay, yeah, we're all going to hell. Um... (laughs) And, and and it would it's it's great in the beginning being a Catholic. Uh, it, it starts off really good and then it goes downhill real quick. Um, because it starts off like, oh hey, there's this guy. He made you and he loves you. And you're like, oh my god, that's awesome. Like I love love. And they're like, yeah, he loves you. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> what? Did I stutter? <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Because he made a place, and that place is made of fire. And in that place made of fire, there are demons whose only job is to torture the fucking shit out of you. If you fuck it up. You see that guy over there? You see that kind of sexy Middle Eastern dude hanging on a lowercase t? Oh my god, did he go to hell? No, that's his son. What? You know why he's on that cross? Because of you. Because he loved you so much that he died for your sins. I'm eight. I don't think I have any sins. (laughs) Doesn't think he has any sins. You never heard about original sin, kid? Listen, one time, long time ago, you don't remember it, naked dude in a dope forest ate an apple that was given to him by a naked lady who got it from a snake. Anyway, God was fucking pissed. (laughs) That's why we dunk you motherfuckers in water afterwards to just deal with your situation. But here's the thing. If you sin again after this, you've got to go into this box and talk to an old man that you don't know through a soup strainer and tell him all the notorious <laughs> deeds you did. And you're like, I'm still eight. And they're like, eat this. And you're like, what is it? Human flesh. Oh, God. Drink this. What's that? That's blood. What's wrong with this religion? Nothing. It's the only one that's real. <laughs> So that's Catholicism. <laughs> and no, it, it, you guys, a lot of Catholics in the audience. So, and it, it, the, the fucked up thing is, like, like you know, like it, it, they get you early. Um, and and so I like this sort of molded and shaped me into just this neurotic, like overweight sack of stuttering uh, fears. Um, because I was like, oh, that's gonna get me in hell and fucking avoid that. And then and then when I was nine, because my parents are rad, um, they I, I, they showed me the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> Which I thought was a documentary. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's what happens. And my mind was blown. Be- between the ages of nine, this is no shit, guys. I am not lying to you. Between the ages of nine and like way too old, like I, like 16, I believed that I was going to inevitably be possessed by Satan because of the movie The Exorcist. Pursuant to that fact, I slept with a pile of rosaries, which are magic Catholic beads, uh, (laughs) under my pillow. Because here's the thing. Here was what my logic was at. Was Satan can't get you if you're sleeping on a pile of rosaries. He can't get you at night because you're sleeping on a pile of rosaries. Thinking. Always fucking thinking. (laughs) But Satan did get me, guys. 
Satan got me. And he got me in, in a form that I feel like he gets a lot of men sometimes, oftentimes white men, cisgendered white men. And I'm, I'm woke to that. In the form of nocturnal emissions, also known in the street as wet dreams. Now, here's what I reasoned for myself, was that if I was asleep at the time, there's no way that's a sin. There's no fucking way, God, because I was asleep when it happened. And also, it felt dope. So, I started getting the machinations in my brain going, and I realized that, like, all the books that I was reading... Anytime I'd read a book before I went to sleep, I would have a wet dream about that book, which gave me some really fucked up dreams about animorphs banging each other. <laughs> Sometimes I look up and I see a falcon, I just get hard as a rock. Like morph. Just morph. Oh, it gets worse. So, so pursuant to that, I was like, there's no way that I'm doing any of this sex shit. But you know what I will do is I will take my mother's old typewriter and I will write very short erotic novels for me to read right before I go to bed, hoping to kickstart a good wet dream for me for that night. I had a fucking stack of them. I mean, all of the favorites were there. There was, like, the girl with the boob. And there was, like tongue kissing and like let's hold hands like all the hits were there on uh, usually involved involved animorphs somehow and and i would be like yeah just like pumping out smut in my 14 year old fingers being like yeah this is gonna be hot for tonight and then at which i was like this is not a sin i'm just fucking like you know like having some good dreams um, which also may be one of the reasons that like, I write novels to this day and also maybe the reason that I think the sexiest part of a woman is her big-ass bookshelf. Mm. Girl, you fuck with magical realism? I fuck with Isabella Ende. You like House of Spirits? Mm. Let me read the back of that. So, middle school had come upon us. And uh, along with middle school, in Catholic school, you get you get dare to resist drugs and, and violence. And then you also get religion class. And then you also get health class. So, like, health and religion and drugs and violence and gangs, they all, like, sort of, like, merge together in, like, one just, like, Catholic guilt spiral for me. And that Catholic guilt spiral told me, it took me to this, this version of the universe where essentially outside of my Catholic school there are roving bands of gangs that are constantly just looking for like nubile, young, supple Catholic boys like myself who are just wandering around the street, maybe wanted to go buy a Goosebumps novel, you know, like good kid shit. And then they'd send over a public school girl who we all know give out hand jobs like it's nobody's business, whatever that is. I don't know what it is. Anyway, they'll send her over to you and then they'll bring you back and be like, hey, you know, listen, I don't want to do any tongue kissing. I just want to save you from hell. And then, boom, the gang jumps on you. They hold you down. They inject you with one whole pot of marijuana. Okay? All right? And then after that, you're fucking addicted. Everybody's pregnant. You have AIDS. He has AIDS. She has AIDS. You're Tokyo drifting in a Walmart. Pour some sugar on me. And your, your teacher knows. Your mom knows. The Pope knows. And you are so going to hell. 
That's what Catholicism is. And so there was this talk going around about this thing that I heard the kids were doing, whacking off, beating off sometimes it was called, usually associated with a gesture like this. I was like, don't want any part of it, and went back upstairs and started writing in a more fanfic. <laughs> then they turned into bears and fucked. <laughs> the end. Question mark. <laughs> and then one day, one of the darkest days of my young life, I'm hanging out with my best friend, my only friend since I was eight. For the Woo! sake of the story, I'm going to call him Dave, because that's his name, and he's sitting back there, and I fucking love you, Dave. I'm going to tell all these strangers about us whacking off. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to watch the light go out of your eyes, because I'm going to out-survive you, motherfucker. Anyway, he starts talking about how he, how he tried whacking off. I was like, not him, Satan. <laughs> Anybody but him. You can have my mom. You can have my dad. You can have my brother. You can have anybody but Dave, but you go after Dave. And I put down my Magic the Gathering cards. And I think, well, that's interesting information, but it's something that I will not be trying anytime soon. And I go up to my room to read my erotica. <laughs> I'm laying in bed, hoping the wet dreams start, but too too preoccupied to like actually like you know get it going. And I'm thinking at this point about like the two most righteous people I know in life, and it's like it's like if I had to rank them, it's like Dilbert from the comic strip Dilbert, which I was really into for some reason at the time, and then it's Dave. And I thought to myself, you know, like, if Dave is going to hell, why would I go to heaven? You know, there's no reason because of, of anybody else. There's been nobody who has, like, hung out with me without any sort of presupposition other than just Dave. And played magic cards with me and uh, talked about girls that we liked though would never talk to. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, Dave, I'm going to try whacking off. <laughs> I'm going to try whacking off for you, buddy. <laughs> and I mean that, dude. I really do. So I decided it was time, you know? Put down my stack of pages. You know, roll the paper back, and I was like, not tonight. Not tonight, Animorphs. <laughs> Tonight's about you. Tonight's about Eric. Turned off the lights, and I prepared to masturbate. <laughs> so I assumed a stance completely naked. Socks on, because that's how I got down then. That's how I get down now. You got a problem with that? Step to the left. <laughs> now, I took my fist. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Hold on a second. We're going to get there. Don't you worry about it. Let me CSI what happened. I'm going to take you through it slow. I'm going to reverse engineer this for you. So, I had heard the term whacking off, beating off. I had heard it in Congress with this motion. 
if you notice, on a two-dimensional plane, you will not be able to see that this shape is in fact concave. I did not realize that the point of a sensuous genital massage was to wrap your digits around your member in a crude facsimile of, let's say, a sexual orifice or a non-sexual orifice. I've learned this now. But what I did instead was I bent my knees because I dug in because if Dave told me to whack off, I was going to do it right. I took my hand and I curled every last finger into a diamond hard fist. And I was like, well, Dave said so. And we're going to hell together. And then I immediately began just sort of pummeling my own testicles, my own 14-year-old testicles, just, just hitting them with the most like brutal uppercuts that I could ever, ever m- imagine. And I just kept going and going and assuming that something good was going to happen out of this until I maybe passed out from the pain. I don't know. Either way, I woke up on the floor and I was like, did I whack off? Did I do it right? And then I looked down and I was like, oh, that was the worst. No wonder God hates this. I limped into school the next day because of the punching to my penis and nuts. Dave was like, hey, so uh, that's a terrible impression of Hey, did you like it? Sounds like a hobo under a bridge. (laughs) Like a a handkerchief knapsack and a can of beans. Did you like whacking off? And I was like, no, it was awful. He's like, oh, really? (laughs) That's going to get out of this Dave impression. (laughs) I'm going to go with it. So you didn't like whacking off, huh? I was like, no, that was the worst thing that I've ever done. He's like, you want to play Magic the Gathering? And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. I absolutely want to play Magic the Gathering. Um, I want to tell you that there was a happy ending here, and eventually I realized that the shape was... Instead of... I want to tell you that it actually came like three and a half years later when I was 17 and it was like I discovered nuclear fusion and I was like but what if no we couldn't there's no possible well of course that was the element that we were missing this whole time Guys, it was great. (laughs) Thanks. We're going to make out later. I laughed so hard that I got better abs for this outfit. That's wild. Uh, Guys, we're just going to keep it moving real fast. We still got a couple more storytellers to get to. Thank you for spending, Eric, a lengthy amount of time on masturbation. That is um, probably one of my favorite topics. Um, And also just generally, like, fists in regards to men's genitals. 
Let's bring up the delightful, the delightful, the wonderful, the most precious. Um, this this gentleman in particular um, did a great music video um, aptly titled I Fucked Your Dad <laughs> with Pandora Box. Please put your hands together for Kevin Yee. I'm really turned on right now. <laughs> Dave. Oh, Dave. Um... <laughs> little distracted. Hi. Um, I was standing over there um, as the show began and I realized this is actually the first like storytelling show that I've ever done. Um, so enjoy. Uh, no, I've, I've spoken on stage before. Uh, yeah, what I actually do is I do comedy songs, but this is a storytelling show. So I do want to tell a little bit about myself. Don't panic. This will be fine. Um... <laughs> I am a homosexual, if that was not clear. <laughs> a little bit. Dave, woo! Um, I like that story. <laughs> so adorable. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gay. And I'm Asian, if that's not clear either, which is not relevant to the story, but I just wanted to point that out. Um, any other Asian people here? No, just oh, there are! I'm not alone. There's so much diversity in this room. I love it. Um, I have been out of the closet for a very long time, and as a performer, as a comedian, I am very open about who I am as an entertainer. I am like, I am gay. I say that to everyone that I meet. It's very important to me. And um, the reason is because when I was a teenager, I was in a failed 90s boy band. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So this is, um, this band was, uh, let's see, we had a major recording deal here in Los Angeles. We toured the state several times. We had an album produced by some of the biggest producers like David Foster and Quincy Jones. I know it's amazing. We had a top five. <laughs> we had a top five music video on the Dis on the Disney Channel. Um, the band was called Youth Asylum. That's usually the response that I get. <laughs> it's fair. I think that's a fair response. Um, so no one's ever heard of that band. No. Okay, that's fine. Youth Asylum. That's my life's work. But thank you. Is that Dave? <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Love you. Um, we're going for drinks after the show, right? Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this band, I wasn't out of the closet yet, though I've always known that I was gay. I think most gay people know. Are there gay people here? Woo! Yeah. Yeah, I saw you three going to the bathroom together. I'm just saying. It was really quick, but I saw that. Um, so, like, I have, I've always known that I was gay, like, growing up, and I actually remember the moment. Do you guys remember the moment that you were like, I am gay? Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah. Like, for me, it was like I was watching Sally Jesse Raphael. Do you guys know that show, or are you guys too young? Too young? It's like a, yeah, it's like a talk show, right? And um, there was just this gay couple on the stage, and the audience was, like, so mean to them. They were, like, treating them they, like they were, like, freaks, you know, and outcasts, and... I was watching going like, damn, gay people have like the worst lives. People like treat them terribly. And that's when I realized that I was gay and just like flop sweat. Just like, I don't know what to do here, but I, I had to hide it. I mean, I was only like 11 at the time. So I was like, oh, you know, I have some time. I'll figure it out. Um, 
But this band came along when I was about 15 years old, and I wasn't out of the closet yet. Um, but I always dreamed of being a pop star. That's like one of my biggest dreams growing up. Like I love music. I was a songwriter. It was my thing, right? So I thought that signing this record deal would be a dream come true to me, but it very, very quickly turned into a nightmare because the moment that I signed that record deal, the label, the record label took issue with me because they thought that I was too gay to be in a boy band. <laughs> yes, too gay to be in a boy band. Um, but yeah, I wasn't out of the closet yet, so I was struggling with it. So they were trying to be very sensitive with me, very sensitive. So um, they brought me into their offices one day, very, very serious, and they sat me down and they said, Kevin, you know exactly what I said. They're like, this is a boy band. You're a little flamboyant. You're a little gay. By the way, I didn't, th I don't, like when I think back, I'm like, I wasn't that flamboyant. I just was Canadian. I'm Canadian. So I just like was raised in this world where it was like nice and everything was fine. We didn't really worry. And my mom was like very open-minded. I mean, she never, I, I think my mom thought that I was gay growing up. There were definitely signs. Like, um, like when I was a kid for Halloween, I was three years old. She made me dress up as the pink Care Bear for Halloween. Do you guys remember the pink Care Bears? Like the special powers, the rainbow shooting out of its stomach. Like, I think that was a sign. <laughs> a little bit. So I don't think I was that flamboyant, but they thought that I was. So they sat me down and they said, we need to fix this because this is a boy band. We're marketing to teenage girls and, and this is 1998. Like we don't have like gay you know, boy band members, so we have to fix this. But don't worry, we're going to fix this. We're going to teach you how to act like a straight guy. Oh, yes. So there are straight guys here. Dave? <laughs> Dave? So there's some. So you probably already know. Oh, you too, sorry. <laughs> um, so you probably already know this, but um, we're the gays. <laughs> I'm going to teach you what I was taught. <laughs> how to act like a straight guy. Okay, so, so, it started with, like, closed-door tutoring sessions where they, they talked about, uh, they said that I talked too gay, that I talked gay. So um, they would tell me things like, uh, don't enunciate as much, you know, like, don't enunciate as much, yeah. Like, use more current slang, like, yo and what's up. Good, right? And if somebody asked who my favorite singer is, don't say Celine Dion. But I see, again, Canadian. Not gay, Canadian. So. They said that I dressed too gay. Um, again, like, I was just like a 15-year-old. I didn't, I just, and my mom would just be like, you want that rainbow shirt? Wear that rainbow shirt, you know? Like, it wasn't an issue, like... Um, but they, they had an issue with it, so they would take me shopping, and they bought me a whole bunch of baggy clothes that I wore backwards, right? Um, Dave, right? They bleached my hair. They bleached my hair blonde. They pierced my ears. I kind of looked like a gayer Eminem. You know, like if you picture in your head. Just, I don't know why. This is Eminem, but this is Eminem. The worst part of it, though, is that they said that I... Um, this is kind of embarrassing to even say, but they said that I walked gay, but I just had like really good posture. I was like a dancer growing up and Canadian again. So it's like, you know, I had this, I don't know, Canadian walk. I don't know. Um, so they would, they would, they actually like taught me how to walk like a straight guy and they would take me to the grocery store and make me practice 
my straight walk up and down the aisle of the grocery store of the Ralphs, you know? And um, so you probably know this um, already and Dave. And so, but here's like, it's, here's what I was taught that like straight guys kind of walk like one of their ankles is swollen and they're trying not to put pressure on it. You know what I mean? So, is that, is that true? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> yes, ending that. <laughs> um, it was a really weird time in my life. I spent three years in that band, and eventually the band ended, and we went our separate ways. And that was really the moment that I decided that it was time to come out of the closet. That's really what pushed me out of the closet, because I realized that I didn't want to hide who I was anymore. Like, even if that meant never becoming a pop star and giving up on my pop star dreams, I wanted to live my life to like its fullest gay potential. And I may have overcorrected just a little bit. <laughs> but I think that life is so much better now. So that's my story. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. I kind of think, um, just like comparatively, I do think that uh, for straight girls, uh, straight girls, the one... <laughs> The one skill, other than like, it seems like somehow like every straight white girl's like good at singing, kind of, um, <laughs> is they love contemporary dance, love modern dance. I don't know really which one it is, but like, um, they're, here's the thing, um, now you guys can see that, that the tag is still on it, um, but this is like, I've noticed that I every time I watch contemporary or modern dance, which not that often, but like probably like 2008, 2009, a lot when it was at its height. Like you can pretty much do modern contemporary dance. Like, just a second here. Tell me if I'm on the money or not. are bred to be little show ponies, guys. It's one thing that I can say is true of the white woman. Um, I, do get, uh, I do get really angry about something that I've created for myself. What did I, what did I do? It's an enormous attack. Yeah, no, yeah. Do we like this? It's, I love that it's like, okay. Shape FX, which sound, makes it sound like a leather bar, which... It is for me. <laughs> it's my own little leather bar. Um, and then it's also, it's called Shape FX as though it's like supposed to be skin tight, but it's an XL. <laughs> so I don't know what, I don't know what shape effects a blazer can bring other than like a cinch waist, but it's not like, it's not, you know, it's not giving me the, that. So I don't know. I'm glad that you guys, that you guys enjoyed that. It is nice to uh, release control for a second. Let you guys drive the show. Uh, I do get really and truly angry um, sometimes. Um, it's something that happens a lot, which is this idea that that guys put on me that um, that I'm perfect. <laughs> like I understand why you would say that um, completely, because like everything I do manufactures this idea that I am. But it makes me really angry regardless, and so um, it's it's kind of like <laughs> they'll say something like. 
Like I've I've said this before on the show, they'll say something like, "I'm too good for you," or whatever. I'm, or excuse me, like I like I'm too good for them. And I'm like, "What's that? Like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you." <laughs> this is where we would have had our fifth story of the night, and it was a very good one. But the comedian is working on new material and asked us to remove it. If you want to make sure that you see all the stories and hear all the stories at Personally Speaking, you've just got to come to the live show. Back in. The only uh, experience I remember uh, of Mormon people from high school have said that they like all hung out together. Like Most people in high school are drawn together because of their character flaws. Like If you're really mean, you're like in the mean girl clique, or if you're you know, if you're um, if you're really nerdy, you hang out with the nerds. Or in the case of my extremely racist school, if you were Mexican, you hung out with the Mexicans. Um, uh, but in I don't even remember my train of thought except to say that um, dick soaking was really fun. I don't know if that was the only thing I remembered about um, about Mormonism was that there was this. It was the kind of thing it came around and it was almost like Oprah spread it. It didn't really happen, but everyone talked about this concept of dick soaking, which. Different from what what Barbara described, in which like a dildo would change color, um, <laughs> similar but different. Uh, instead, uh, dick soaking is the practice by which uh, young men decided that God would be cool with them, and they still get to have sex if they just gently lowered themselves, per Barbara's description, gently lowered themselves into a woman and then stood completely still. It's... (laughs) I'm immediately jealous. That was a great line. Um, So anyway, so yeah, like, you literally just, like, you just... I, I tried to think so many times, like... Because if you're if you're laying completely still, like of course this is uncomfortable. Assuming that there's even a woman in this situation who like has to also lay still in this, like this is an agreement. This is an agreement. And so, but just can you imagine like two teenage ass kids like in the prime of their bodies and lives, just like don't move or Satan wins. <laughs> um, which is now how I masturbate, so. Um, frequently. Uh, the last person that we're bringing up to the stage is another babe. Um, literally everyone on this show is a babe. Um, I've organized the lineup specifically. Um, only bring on people who are handsome. So, guys, put your damn hands together for the incredibly talented, incredibly funny Megan Galing. Aren't I so handsome? <laughs> Um, you guys are such a lovely... I've never seen an audience awe at a masturbation story. So, what a lovely space. Um, I've been in New York all week. And it's not been a great week. I got hit by a shovel on Monday. So, I didn't have to go to the hospital, but it was definitely hard enough that I saw a friend later and he was like, oh yeah, I was across the street and I ran away and acted like I didn't know you. So, my ear hasn't popped from the flight yet and I'm like... This is hell. Like, I know we've been going through some religious, does hell exist? It does. And it's um, inside the nasal voice of a Midwestern accent. Um, so this is uh, lovely. My, my story starts with, uh, well, fuck it. So I, my grandmother was my best friend, and I feel like gay men can relate to that. Just like finding an older woman and being like, you're it. Um, 
She was. I mean, my parents are lovely and wonderful, but my grandmother, they called her the hat lady. She wore leopard all the time. Like, she was like a bad, cool bitch. Um, and I loved her very, very dearly. She moved into my family home when I had just graduated from college, and I moved home, and I was her full-time caregiver, which is, like, not a very white thing to do. But I knew I loved her, and she had very advanced Alzheimer's. So her and I spent every day together. We would go to the grocery store. We just had... Just a wonderful time. Um, and then her Alzheimer's advanced to a point where she could no longer live in our home, and she moved to a nursing home where they'd be able to take better care of her. Um, her health started to deteriorate. She had a fall. My mom called me. She had, like, rushed there in the middle of the night. Uh, we lived in Indiana. This was in Niagara Falls, New York. Hello. And so I flew there so I could be with her. My mom and I sat at her bedside for four days, Um and it gets to a point when someone's old enough and in enough pain, you like, you want them to be released from it. You you hope for their death. And I know that that sounds, um, ins- you know, she wasn't a young buck. She was 89. Like, uh, we can be like, okay, let's speed this up. <laughs> it was actually like a really emotional and beautiful, amazing time. I worked at a nursing home at the time. My mom was a hospice nurse. And we weren't like, be- it, like shitty women. We were like very good at handling this. We actually had her write in this book before she lost her memory, and one of the questions in it was, what's your biggest regret in life? And she said her biggest regret in life was becoming a Catholic. (laughs) But it's like, yeah, duh. (laughs) No one's ever done that and been like, what a hoot. Um, These donuts, what the fuck, worth it. And then she said her second biggest regret in life was that she never got to kiss a black boy on the lips. Very progressive and cool. Also begs the question, where did you kiss a black boy? Um, My grandfather left my grandmother when they were 35 years old uh, to be with a 19-year-old who worked at the snack shop at their country club. So he was a doctor. That You could do that. Um... It was a very contentious thing, but then in, he married that 19-year-old many, many years later, but then he cheated on that 19-year-old with this woman who we called Mistress Patty, who we fucking loved. Like, <laughs> she dyed her hair red. She was, like, dope. She would come and visit us in Indiana, and she would, like, come pick me up at elementary school, and they'd be like, who's picking you up today? I'd be like, Mistress Patty, and they're like, gotcha. <laughs> like, everyone knew it was just, like, my grandfather's second mistress, but it, like, well, it was, like, his 50th mistress, but I ran into her when we were in the nursing home and she actually came and paid her respects to my dying grandmother to the point that it was like so uncomfortable my uncle left the room <laughs> like he was like this is very weird but it was like a beautiful process my grandmother ended up passing on a Sunday and I flew back to Chicago where I was living at the time I went to a Zumba class because she would want me to be in good shape. And <laughs> and then I, I got home. I was actually doing pretty well with it um, because we had sort of been hoping for it to come. She was definitely at peace. And then my dad called me and um, he said, you're still going to go on that date tonight, right? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, I got you and Mark, this man that he, like, worked with, who he was setting me up with, which is also, like, fucking weird, Blackhawks tickets, and you have to go on this date. And I was like, my, my best friend just died. I'm not going 
on a date. And he was like, the tickets were $250. And I was like, okay, I'll go. Uh, and my dad has always raised me in the sense of being someone's like perfect second wife. Um, I'm like mouthy in a fun way. I play golf and tennis. Like you could leave me with like... like <laughs> I said to my dad last week, I go, I'm afraid Trump would like me. And he goes, oh, Trump would love you. <laughs> like... <laughs> I could definitely see myself being like drunk at a Christmas party, being like, listen, Don, let's bury the hatchet. Um, so I'll do what my dad says because I want him to love me the best because he has all the money and I want it. So <laughs> that's it. I love sports because of my dad, and my brother's always like, you like sports, so dad would like you the best. And I'm like, yeah, and that's why I get all my self shit paid for. So. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't. Just my cell phone. And uh, that's great. <laughs> Stay on that family plan. <laughs> so I go to meet this guy. Now, this guy is a hot babe. The hottest babe of a man I've ever gone on a date with. I'm used to going out with, like, swamp creatures. Um, and I know you're like, Megan, you're so pretty. Yeah, but I'm just a slut and I'll take anything. So I like to think of myself as like a friendly slut. I take people that nobody wants. And I think that's a good surface. <laughs> so I get there. This guy was a close family friend, but I had sort of made sure that he didn't know about my grandmother's passing because I was like, I don't want him to think I'm like a weird person that I'd be willing to go on this date. So we go, we meet up at a bar. Um, we, like, drink a little bit. We end up going to the game. Uh, we're sitting there. I go to the bathroom at one point. I come back, and his face is just, like, blank. Like, all the color has been drained from it. And he turns to me, and he goes, you didn't have to come. And I was like, what? And he goes, I, I just found out that your grandmother died this morning. And I was like, I you know, I had been there. I, I was able to say goodbye to her. I, I, these tickets were expensive. So, <laughs> so I came. And he was like, I appreciate that so much. And it was actually like a really nice moment of like, you get where I'm coming from and, and you're hot. And that's great. <laughs> like, wow. You work out twice a day? Okay, cool. So I took this as a sign to get as blacked out as I wanted to, which is what I should have been doing anyway. So I just start pounding, pounding, pounding drinks. We get on like a little shuttle bus. I remember like waving my head outside of it. We go back to this bar. At one point, I, um, I lost my grandmother's bracelet that I was wearing. I was sobbing in the middle of the bar, and then I was eventually thrown out because I fell asleep. But it's like, whatever. So, <laughs> you've never fallen asleep at a bar? Okay. I've gotten fingered at a bar. Like, let's fucking live. <laughs> So I wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, still very fucked up, have no idea where I am. He's nowhere to be seen, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, and like, I backpack through Europe a lot. Like, I've definitely had instances to, like, become Natalie Holloway, and <laughs> I was like, this was the day it was going to happen? I'm in, like, giant sweatpants, like a big... I'm in a, like a Chicago Bears sweatshirt, which I would never have worn because that is trash. And I go out. He slept on the couch. He like undressed me, put me in his like clothes, slept on the couch, gave me his bed, and um, you know, sort of gives me like a recap of what happens. Um, he ends up driving me home, 
And I'm like, I'm never going to see that man again. I call my dad and I'm like, this is what happened because you made me go on the date. And my dad goes, oh, Megan, you ruin everything. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like so funny to say to your daughter when she's clearly in mourning. This man and I went on to date for nine months. He then broke up with me because he said I lost my sparkle. <laughs> it's like the first time we met, I fell asleep at a bar. Like, <laughs> he also turned on a blowjob once, and I was like, I don't trust you. Uh, you got bodies in your fucking Camry. <laughs> to cap off the entire like emotional roller coaster that these few days had been. My grandmother died on December 19th. Uh, I went home on December 25th, uh, as, as you do when you love your family and want gift cards. So I was, my, I was meeting my now sister-in-law for the first time. She's a fucking hippie idiot. And she gave us a go. And I was like, no, not going to work. Uh, she's since learned. Now she gives me um, money to Bloomingdale's every year and goes, I know it's not a go. You know, so she like got it. My mom, on the other hand, still reeling from the loss of her mother, wrapped up all of my grandmother's sweaters, did not clean them, and then gave them to us as Christmas presents. And, like, my parents are rich, so that's a weird thing to do, to give dead people's clothes. And not even, like, long-time dead people, six-day dead people, with her sticker from the nursing home, Peggy McMahon, still in it. Um, so that was a fun Christmas. Uh, I got a goat and a dead woman's shirt. And um, yeah, that's it. Mark Sirocco, piece of shit. <laughs> Lost my sparkle. Lost my sparkle. Motherfucker, I'm on TV sometimes. Um, <laughs> Guys, let's just close out the uh, show with a quick fun fact. Um, Bumble is now currently showing me people 27 miles away. <laughs> Living my best life. All right, folks, we're going to get drunk at Kibitz Room after this. Thanks for coming out to another edition of Personally Speaking, where, of course, you don't have to stay here, but you can never go home. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, friends, you made it to the end. Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Personally Speaking. Personally Speaking is recorded live before a theater audience in West Hollywood, California at the Open Space. We do this show absolutely every month, and we can't wait for you to see our next one. That'll be Friday, May 12th, 8 o'clock. See you there.